The reading tonight is in the sixth psalm, psalm number six. It is to be found in the Pew Bibles 545. Psalm 6, 545. O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul is also sorely vexed, but thy, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. O save me from thy mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of thee, in the grave who shall give thee thanks. I am weary with my groaning. All the night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eye, mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxeth old because of all my enemies. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. For the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my, heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore waxed. waxed. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. Amen. come now to pray for others but before I lead you in that prayer uh, I didn't uh, welcome uh, David who's going to be preaching tonight David McElrath, David and Doris uh, joined us uh, a couple of months ago is that right? yeah but they've been hanging about for a bit longer than that uh, weighing us up uh, we're, uh, we're delighted that uh, they have uh, come and we look forward to being enriched by their wealth of uh, Christian experience. And David is going to uh, preach uh, shortly. Uh, the, the theme that has been coming out of our singings has been compassion. And in our prayers of others, uh, we'll be uh, focusing on that theme and um, getting some of my ideas from uh, the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. So let us pray. Lord, the first thing we want to do is thank you for the compassion which you have for us on a daily basis. Without your compassion, without your feeling with us and for us, where would we be without your love which enfolds us and bears us up? Without your forgiveness when we so frequently go astray? Lord, we praise and thank you for that compassion, that divine compassion which is ours in Christ by your spirit. And Lord, we thank you for those who down the years have had compassion upon us. When we were young Christians with some weird and wacky ideas, Lord, you, had, you led people to have compassion on us. 
and not to rebuke us, but to uh, let us, uh, give us a bit of rope, and then we learnt ourselves the error of our ways. But thank you for their faithfulness and their compassion. For those who have compassion upon us in our own families, our spouses, and even our children. Lord, we thank you for them, for dear friends who support and strengthen us. And now, Lord, we pray for those in special need. You said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And Lord, we pray for uh, Molly's family, the Adairs. And we pray that as she is buried tomorrow, and as their hearts are heavy with the loss of a mother, a sister, a grandmother, a dear one, as we all feel her loss in our fellowship, Lord, you will give that comfort, that comforter, your very self, the Holy Spirit, to lift uh, mourning, burdened hearts. And we don't only pray for the most recent death in our, uh, our congregational fellowship. We pray for those who have been bereaved in earlier days and who still feel that loss as they return to an empty house, as they, in their quieter moments, more reflective, know a lump in their throat and a tear in their eye. Lord, comfort those who mourn. Lord, bless those who are merciful and those who need mercy. For the weak, the powerless, those who in worldly terms have no might. For the abused, for the put upon, for those under great danger in war zones and areas of violence. Lord, have mercy upon them. And grant that your people and people of goodwill will show mercy upon, upon others who have wronged them, upon others who have gone, gone astray, upon others who justice would demand, Lord, punishment. Well, we pray that punishment may be tinged with mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Lord, strengthen every effort to promote and maintain, maintain peace throughout the world. And in our own province, we pray. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. We pray, Lord, for those who suffer for their faith. We know nothing about it. Who are stripped of job, position, who are thrown in prison, who are physically tortured, 
or who are socially ostracized, whose families bear uh, the, the pain of the loss of dear ones. Lord, we pray for those throughout the world in so many places who are suffering and being persecuted for their faith. Give them strength of spirit, depth of faith, and a broadness of love, and help them in the worst circumstances to witness to a merciful God. We pray, Lord, as we have been singing, God of compassion, friend of the weak, give us we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Bill, for your welcome. Um, Doris and I have been away here and there for different reasons in recent weeks, so much so that my good friend Morris Barr, Sunday night week back when Damien was welcoming visitors, welcomed me uh, to uh, Bluefield. But anyway, it's, uh, it's just lovely to belong here. We feel very much at home, and uh, this is really where God wants us to be. And we're delighted that we are looking at the Psalms of David on these Sunday evenings. I've been convinced years ago that we, we must have a psalm of worship, or at least part of a psalm, uh, in every service, whether sung are read, so it's good to be looking at the Psalms during these summer months. Martin Luther said that the Psalms are the Bible in miniature, five thin volumes of poetry, 150 Psalms, going back up to 3,000 years. The only book that isn't divided into chapters. So what we have read earlier this evening in Psalm 6 is Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry doesn't have rhyme or meter, but it has one important feature, and that is what they call parallelism. In other words, there are two or three poetic lines together, and they convey a single idea from different angles. So the second would echo the first etc., etc. We have an example of this, for example, in Psalm 6 and verse 6. David says, I am worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. That's Hebrew parallelism. But they are, of course, poems set to music. And you'll see that the heading here is Shemineth. And that's a, a musical connotation. It means eighth. So if you go back to First Chronicles 15, 20, eight Levites are instructed to play their harps and their lyres according to Sheminith. So you see that the Psalms are a double art form. They are poetry set to music for God's ears. That's important. Poetry on fire, if you like. The most important thing about the Psalms, of course, is that they are to be prayed. 
They give us words to pray when we don't have words or we kind of dry up in our praying and begin to be repetitive. They teach us how to pray honestly and thoroughly. So before we turn to Psalm 6, let's just pray for a moment and ask for God's help. Living God, we thank you for this soul book of poem songs. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of musicians in our church who lead us so sensitively uh, into the place where we just from our hearts want to lift you high in our praises. We ask this evening that David's heart cray cry will help us to pray more thoroughly and more honestly, especially in our dark valley experiences of life. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray, and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to read and think about Psalm 6, the heart cry of a man in deep anguish. You've been there. Maybe you're there just now. David will help us to pray. If you're going to open your uh, Bible at Psalm 6, it'd be good to do that. It's 545, as we heard earlier. I often encourage folk to read a passage, to read it slowly, to see where God would uh, encourage us to stop, park, if you like, at a verse or a phrase and to hold on to it for our reflection or our meditation that we kind of carry with us. So we're going to read the psalm once again, if that's okay. Uh, Psalm 6, the NIV, 5, 4, 5. O Lord, Do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. No one remembers you when he is dead, who praises you from the grave. I am worn out with groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. May all my enemies be ashamed and dismayed. May they turn back in sudden disgrace. You read and think about the psalm. You see that here's a man who is experiencing terrible suffering. 
So he prays one of these psalms of lament. Did you know that there are 65 psalms of lament in the Psalter? A psalm of lament is an impassioned cry to God, born out of a painful experience of life. And we see some of the features of a psalm of lament here in Psalm 6. And God willing, we'll see the same again next Sunday evening in Psalm 7. First of all, in verse 1, David states his complaint. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Lord, is the trouble I am going through just now flagging up your disapproval of me? You're coming so heavy on me. Are you my enemy as well as these other people? Then again, in verse 2 through verse 3, David describes his condition. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. In other words, it affects the whole of his being, body, mind, emotions, spirit. And then in the second half of verse 3, another feature of a psalm of lament is he lodges his protest quite clearly with God. How long, O Lord, how long is this that's happening to me ever going to grind to a halt? Was to keep going on and on and on. And then he describes vividly his tears as we've read in verse 6. Another aspect of a lament psalm. And of course the threatening enemies. Verse 7, he refers to them as all my foes. And then verse 10, he speaks of all my enemies. All this, and yet David begins and ends the psalm, as you have noticed, I'm sure, with a description of God as his Lord. Lord is the personal name for God. It's a term of intimacy, although it speaks also of the greatness of the Most High God. In Exodus 15, 26, God is described as Yahweh, the Lord, your healer, the one who heals those who are broken. That's why the ministry of prayer for healing is so important in this fellowship, isn't it? Spurgeon says that Stars may be seen from the bottom of a deep well when they cannot be discerned from the top of a mountain. Good phrase, good words. So this lament psalm speaks of the reality of life with God. Often, as Spurgeon suggests, like David, at the bottom of a deep well, which can, in God's purposes, very often be a good place to be. And if the psalm is a prayer poem set to music, then we should ask the question, how do we approach a psalm like this? How do we approach the psalms generally if they are poetry? 
I would suggest, and I need to be careful here, not to study the psalm, to work on the text, although I've done that and it's a worthwhile exercise. But brothers and sisters, what we have here is rich poetry, which is to be read slowly, letting the words come to us, as it were, to work on us and to work in us by the Spirit. And you see, in this way, we we find our path into David's world at the bottom of a deep well of suffering. God's people suffer. That's a Bible theme. We cannot avoid it. Now, if you look at the psalm and let it come to you, you will notice how David moves between two poles as he prays. On the one side, he describes, as we've seen, his desperate condition, as, for example, in verses 2 and 3. And then on the other side, his loving Lord, verse um, 2 and verse 9, be merciful to me, for I am faint. And then verse 9, he prays, the Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. Eight times he speaks of the Lord, of God as his Lord. And then in verse 4, he speaks of God as his, the one who comes with unfailing love. We have this in verse 4. Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. On the one side, his desperate condition on the other side, his loving Lord. Let's stop for a few moments and ponder these two things about God. David speaks, first of all, about the mercy of God. The mercy of God is his goodness to those who are in misery and distress. And David appeals for mercy with confidence because he knows that the Lord goes mercifully in his world. This is the basis, indeed, of David's encouragement as he prays. None of us, believers or unbelievers, can live but by the mercy of God. You know how Paul describes God as the Father of mercies. What a lovely what a lovely phrase in 2 Corinthians 1.3. So you see, to go under the mercy, the mercy of God, and a great liturgical, liturgical prayer that you could learn and learn and learn is just one word, help. That's it. And then to learn to live as followers of Christ under the mercy, help. Again and again and again is like bathing in a soothing, restoring balm. You know, I suggest we practice this, and there's an ancient practice called breath prayer. God is the oxygen of the soul, so we need to breathe God in, breathe the Spirit in all day long. And there's an ancient prayer coming from the Orthodox Church called the Jesus Prayer. And it's very simple. There are some people who would repeat this many times a day, a week and whatever. You simply 
breathe in Lord Jesus Christ and you breathe out have mercy on me Lord Jesus Christ have mercy on me mercy God is good to those who are in misery and distress would you let those thoughts come to you for a few moments Receive them with joy. Our God is a merciful God. And then when you take it and you pray it, you can just bring it with you into your prayers. Just like Daniel did, Daniel 9.18. You don't need to look it up. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Ponder it, take it with you, the mercy of God. And then the other thing that David says, God is loving. He speaks of the unfailing love of God in verse 4. Save me because of your unfailing love. What is that? It's God's completely undeserved kindness and generosity. It's a lovely old Hebrew word, hesed. And it means God's long-acting love. Coming to David, David asks, how long? Description of God par excellence. The Old Testament speaks of God's loving kindness. How he acts on behalf of his people. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is kind. And David says, listen, you can count on it again and again and again, especially when you're going through the dark valley of suffering. This is the real truth about God. Not verse 1, where David prays honestly, asking is God coming with a heavy hand upon him? So when David swings between these two poles, his terrible condition, his merciful and loving God on the other hand, we need to read, we need to reflect upon, we need to pray, and we need to sing David's poem as part of the prayer book that points us to Jesus, Messiah. Jesus, Messiah, who has come to us, hasn't he, with the mercy and the loving kindness of our God, demonstrated by his intense sufferings, death, and resurrection. And as for David, from these two poles, one side, his desperate condition, the other side, his merciful and loving Lord, there emerges strangely but beautifully a man who is open with God and prays with honesty and thoroughness. What we see is what we get as David goes to prayer. One minute, tears running down his cheeks, then the joy of lifting up his eyes to God from the bottom of his deep well, seeing the stars as Spurgeon said, sensing what God is doing as he prays. 
Did you notice verse 8? Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. Then verse 9, the Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. David is engaging in another very important spiritual practice. It's the practice of noticing. So you have a practice prayer itself, which is the number one. You have the Jesus prayer, the breath prayer suggested, and now you have noticing as he prays. He notices the activity of God in his world, in his circumstances. He looks for God's hidden interventions. He's reading his presence as events unfold, and he's getting an answering touch to his heart cry, his prayer to God. God, he recognizes, is strengthening his spiritual muscles, and he's deepening his trust through it all. What is God's answering touch? Well, it seems to me, quite simply, the assurance that God is listening. Even though he hasn't done anything in answer to David's prayer as yet, David is still at the bottom of the well. But he knows that his heart cry hasn't gone unnoticed in heaven. That God has accepted his prayer his lament, all of it, and that God will, in his time, in his way, bring about a great reversal. Look at verse 10, the last verse. May all my enemies be ashamed and dismayed. May they turn back in sudden disgrace. So you see, as we've prayed with David, in his prayer, in his cry from his dark valley, we now stand up and join the applause as he tells his enemies to clear off, and we celebrate with David as he already sees them on the run, on the run, and that's what God will do for him. Now, you'll know from Romans 15, Paul says that the Old Testament scriptures, including this psalm, were written for us today. They were lit, written for our learning. Just go over a, a couple of wee things again when we approach a psalm. First of all, we, we need to learn to arrange our lives around some of these spiritual practices we find in Psalm 6. Prayer, breath prayer, noticing. For these practices simply bring us before our merciful and loving Lord who, who heaps grace upon grace upon us and into our spirit to strengthen those spiritual muscles and to deepen our trust in him. And the other wee thing is to learn to read the Psalms slowly. They are poems set to music they are not primarily for information, for more head knowledge. We have plenty of that. But they're for spiritual transformation. They're given, if you like, to mold our character 
and to shape our worldview. So you see, the Psalms are unsurpassed for powerfully forming our inner life, God's Spirit working in us in the busyness of day-to-day living, in the presence of our enemies, sin, sickness, death itself, And you cannot go too far in life without picking up an enemy or two and sustaining us then in the long, hard, but exciting and exhilarating road of discipleship to Jesus Christ. What is a disciple? Simply someone who has trusted him for salvation, who has made a definite decision to become his apprentice, following him, living with him in order to become more like him. Like him? In what way? From this psalm? In this way, Jesus and his followers lived in a psalm-shaped world. They knew the psalms off by heart, and they prayed them again and again. We read them to be changed into the loveliness and likeness and goodness and beauty of Jesus. Peterson says, this prayer poem, Psalm 6, will renew you from head to toe, from heart to mind. Will renew you. We're familiar with those words of, of Paul and Ephesians 2.10, he says, we, God's people, are God's workmanship. And in the original, a better word for workmanship is poem. So think about it this way. Disciples of Jesus are God's poem or people poems. Living, breathing, praying, singing the Psalms of David. Psalms that shape our lives so that we become God's gift to the world as David was. Have you ever thought of that? People poems who find themselves very often at the bottom of a deep well, living painfully, painfully, living joyfully, living hopefully the story that is David's in Psalm 6 and the story that is our Lord Jesus, David's greater son. Our times are in his hands, all of them. Let's pray. As we reflect quietly on this psalm, just let a word or some words uh, come to you. Rather than read them, let them read you. And then pray. Approach, my soul, the mercy seat where Jesus answers prayer. 
and humbly fall before his feet, for none can perish there. Just a wee prayer you can make it your own. Thank you, Lord, for this psalm. I pray for an awareness of your presence in my spirit. Whatever I'm going through just now, and like David, I pray for your answering touch to my prayer For your love's sake, amen. I, I had a wee thought this morning. I was um, preaching in, in Raven Hill, which is vacant at the moment. You pray for our brothers and sisters there. But people are coming out into the vestibule, and uh, they were talking with, with one another for a while I was asking the question, I could ask it here this evening, what do we talk about as we leave church? What are we thinking about? What will we carry with us? This came through to me a couple of weeks ago. We were going over to the big Tesco's at um, Newton Breda. Haven't been there very often, and we kind of missed it. Maybe I was driving too quickly. Doris would say I was. And so we kind of had to come back. So we drove into... The Beaver Parish Church, you know it, and uh, turned around in the car park to come out, and right in front of us there was this big sign which every car driver leaving that church would see as he or she leaves church, and it says, the worship has ended, now the service has begun, God bless. I thought that was good, and then I thought a wee bit cheekily, uh, what about a sign for Bloomfield as we leave there or there or wherever? And uh, I came up with one from Psalm 6. And I'll tell you, tell you this from a man called Sheldon Van Eiken in a book called A Severe Mercy, who uh, speaks of his friendship with C.S. Lewis and other things, and talks about this little gathering in Oxford uh, during his day. I'm going to read this straight. Friends and acquaintances, Christian and otherwise, came by, sometimes bringing others, sometimes for a few minutes, sometimes for hours. There were conversations upon almost every imaginable subject, yet sooner or later it seemed the talk would drift around to ultimate things and Christianity. No one who was a part of that scene has ever quite forgotten it. And as a background, accepted, hardly noticed, yet a part of the texture of the hours, there were the bells of Oxford ringing across the night, and there were the goodbyes going down the narrow staircase and out into Pussy Lane to speed the departing friend with goodbye, good night, Go under the mercy. The phrase, he says, comes from Charles Williams. We all used it, indeed still use it, some of us after the years. There would be a halo 
round the gas lamp in the lane, and the slight English rain like a mist, and the cobblestones of the lane would be glistening. Good night. Go under the mercy. And the friend would say, perhaps, sleep under the protection. Good night. And then the sound of the heels marching away into the Oxford night, and perhaps bells marking the midnight. Our sign, three simple G's. What we could well be saying to one another as we leave this evening, or maybe a home group, goodbye, go under the mercy, God bless. Go under the mercy, grace, mercy, and peace be yours, now and evermore. Amen.